Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Snooker Scene Podcast. I'm Dave Hendon and Michael McMullen and myself have just watched Judd Trump become world champion. Uh, an amazing performance after a very dramatic 17 days here in Sheffield and we're going to look back on the final and on the tournament itself. Another uh, emotional, dramatic, whatever you want to call it, world championship. I think we've all thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, so we just left the Crucible. We'll have to start with the new champion. I mean, not, not only, you know, to beat John Higgins is... is Fantastic in its own right, but he actually outplayed him, and I'm saying that's the best anyone's ever played in the world final. And I'm agreeing. So let's end the podcast. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I mean, no contest about that. I always think, you know, when you talk about great quality play in the world final, I think of 2001, O'Sullivan and Higgins. Um, but this absolutely tops us. Nobody's ever played better than that in the world final. There's not a discussion to be had about that. And, and great that he did produce that, actually, because he hadn't played that brilliantly to get mm. to the final. We know the first two rounds he struggled all over the place, could easily have gone out in round one, uh, which has happened to him uh, before in recent times, but gradually improved, and I think the start he made against Stephen, um, Stephen Maguire in the quarterfinals, that was when we started to think, you know, he's, he's really building towards it now, isn't he? Didn't play brilliantly in the semi-final throughout, but played well enough in patches, and that was, that was what made the difference in that match, and then, well, just all leading up to it. You, you see it so often, players just get inspired and lifted by finals, and he's waited eight years to get back to one, and I mean, we just can't believe really it's taken him so long. And I asked him that after the semi-final, and he said he would have been surprised if someone had told him in 2011 it would take him this long. And having waited all that time, it was like the dog had been let off the leash <laughs> after being restrained for all those years. And yeah, no question, the best anyone has ever played in a world final. And you know what? Even though he only won nine frames, John played mm. about as well as anyone's played in losing a world final. Yeah, I mean, it was last night, wasn't it, the, the Sunday night session that, that, that cost him, obviously, only winning uh, one frame. But I think it illustrates the change in Trump, not just as a player, because he's always been an, an amazing potter and, and, and so on, but as a person. We've seen literal maturity from being 21 in the last final 
to 29 now. Big year turning 30. You know, he knuckled down. He backed off social media. He had his brother Jack with him the whole season. He won the Masters, two of the two ranking events, and came here believing, I think, that he could win. He had that, that stutter in the first round against Tepcharanu, but that's the first round. You know, that happens. But started to play well in spells as well, which makes a difference in Sheffield. If you can put like five or six good frames together, you suddenly sort of surge away in a match. And he did that at the end against Ding. He did it at the start against Maguire. The semi-final was a very sort of nervy affair, but they often are. But in the final, where it matters, you know, he just turned it on. And it was great to see, and it really was fantastic to see his family there, not just Jack, but his parents. You know, his dad used to um, use his holiday time to drive him to tournaments. Um, and, you know, they're very humble people. They stay in the background. They don't go running in and, and, and get involved yeah. unless, unless they're invited. Yeah. And it was just nice to see that. And it is it is the sort of fulfilment of a, of a destiny that, that Judd is world champion. And, and bottom line, great for snooker as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you think back to 2011, it seems so long ago. It's like we all were so mm. young then, and he really was. Yeah. You look at the pictures of him then, you know, and, 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 and the look that he had. And... He was one of the first sports stars, actually, any sport, to embrace that whole Twitter thing. Mm. And I, I don't think it did him any good. I think it did the championship a lot of good yeah. because it was a great story. It was one of those years that the championship was remembered more for the runner-up mm. uh, than for the winner. But I think it was a distraction to him back then, and I think that was why, by his own admission, he didn't kill it off the way he should have done back in 2011. Who knows, he might have been a three- or four-ton champion by now. But I think you're absolutely right, he's backed off from all that in recent times. He just looks like a different sort of person, his demeanour, uh, the way he conducts himself. He, he still you know, allows himself a few moments of controversy, the whole Kyron Wilson thing mm. during the season, and grabs a few headlines. Um, but I was actually sitting even closer to the table than you were tonight and just as he was potting the blue I think it was was the ball to take it to snookers required he was really struggling to hold it in you yeah. could actually see that and you often see it when John first won it 21 years ago he was in tears afterwards we remember Ken sticking his tongue out which I know he regrets now because it just looks mm. ridiculous yeah. I think Tony Drago was behind the curtain or something and um, so yeah and as you say I'm sure a lot of that was thinking about his family and the role they have played and you know, they didn't even come when they came down into the arena. They didn't rush over to mm. to to the seat. He had to go to them yeah. uh, to enjoy the moment together. So fantastic to see all of that. I think it is emotional when you see a new champion, and particularly a young champion. And there's something as well about just the occasion. You know, we know it's an increasingly crazy world. Um, but if you're a snooker fan, you know the one constant is the Crucible and the World Championship. It never, it's sort of never changing really. And and I personally hope it never does change. Mm. Um, and we see it. In and around, like last night, we had a few drinks in, in the in the graduate pub, and we met um, Mike Watterson's nephew mm. and Chris Downer of Almanac fame, and a few other snooker fans. And you know, they make the annual pilgrimage. It's such a, a sort of special place to be um, amongst the snooker folk. And then, obviously, the actual play itself, on top of that, makes it unforgettable. And, and they've seen something special. Yeah, and you know, on that point, I think there are so many tournaments now, which is fantastic. But I think that's actually strengthened the World mm. Championship Definitely. because there are so many events. <laughs> But the World Championship, as you say, is the one constant that still stands out. We've got different formats. We've had great new events come along. The Tour Championship this season was fantastic. But the, uh, the World Championship, as you say, it really hasn't changed very much. Mm. I was talking to someone tonight when I told him how many years I've been coming here, which is 22 now. He said, you must have seen so many changes in here over the years. And I said, you know what? I actually haven't. Well, that's, the good, that's the good thing about it. That is the yeah. good thing about it. I mean, you know, the whole everything around it and the whole media side and the nature of that. But in that room we were in at the time, the Crucible Arena, nothing's really changed. They even refurbished it 10 years ago and it still looks the same as it did <laughs> all those years ago. So um, 
it, it is fantastic that as an event it has changed so little over that time and it's always been something great that snooker has had you think of comparable sports tennis most people say Wimbledon's the biggest of the four Grand Slams, but if you're American, you might say differently. If you're a clay court specialist, you might say the French. In golf, there are all kinds of different views as to which is the biggest. But as Ronnie O'Sullivan put it when he first won this, in snooker, there's only one the business tournament. <laughs> and we have other great events, the Masters, the UK, they're wonderful, and the Masters just gets bigger and bigger every year. But you cannot ask any snooker player what you mm. most want to win and get any answer other than the World Championship. It's not even a question they'd ask because it's so obvious. Absolutely. Well, it seems like a long time since the event began. Um, the early story was there was a row about with Mark Williams about he wasn't on the it wasn't on the Roll of Honor board and he wasn't prominent in uh, on, the, on the poster and, and the program. All of which was true. He wasn't, which seemed like a bit just a bit of a marketing own goal. I don't think Mark cares that much, but he, he does. His quite, wife does. Yeah, but that's the thing. He does quite enjoy just stirring the pot. And mm. one thing I thought was bad, I'll be honest, was his one of his sons just wanted to nip backstage before the first match and say, "Good luck, Dad." I know there's protocol with passes and all the rest of it, but come on, they mm. know. They, look, the, the camera was on this kid like relentlessly last year. They know who he is. They could have done that, and they just created a bit of a problem for themselves. Um, but we soon got into the snooker, and that's really all anyone cares about. Very memorable first round. We had, of course, Chris Downer, who we met in the in the uh, in the graduates, got a lot of work to do on the armament because a lot yeah. of yeah. Things, things to update. I mean, Lu Hong Hao, um, a very talented player, but you saw there how the crucible can affect people, and um, he just uh, well had a shocker. Lu Hong, how did that happen? <laughs> Um, <laughs> how Lou can you go yeah do you know what though of the two guys who were 9-0 down after the first session I wanted them both I don't want to see anyone get whitewashed here but the one I wanted to see get a frame was Michael Georgiou because he was so emotional about being here and he may not be back whereas Lou Hong how you feel will be here for a long time to come yeah, I mean, he just, just got absolutely blown away. I mean, there's, there's not a great deal more you can say about it than that. We know what a talented player he is. We saw that in the English Open earlier in the season. He'll have more times here, here in the future. And I don't think it will affect him as much because a lot of the Chinese players, they haven't grown up with the history of the cruise. Well, yeah. well, he, he hasn't even been alive very long, no, you know, to, no. to see much of it. So, um, you know, when it happened to Eddie Charlton back in 92, I'm sure he never quite got over it. But I think Lu Hong Hao will. But I was delighted George Hu got a frame. Um, because it did mean so much to him. And I know he represents Cyprus, but he grew up in this country. So uh, pleased that he managed to uh, at least at least uh, get one on the board. Another thing Chris will have to uh, change is longest ever frame now. Yeah. Uh, 79 minutes, Gary Wilson, Luca Brassell. One of those frames where, you know, well, if it had been frame one, you know, it would have just been torture. But of course it wouldn't have been frame one. It's because it was the last frame that, you know, that, that kind of, it, it, it was... Obviously, hard-fought stuff. Um, Gary Wilson, though, of course, went on to become one of the great stories, and what a, what an incredible crucible he had. And and it's great to see someone like from good snooker stock. You know, he's grown up in the northeast. He plied his trade as a junior, was successful, got on the tour, wasn't very successful, dropped off. Everyone knows by now he was a taxi driver because mm. that's been hammered to death. Uh, got back on though and seized his chance. And 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 interestingly, when he was beaten by uh, Trump in the semis, he wasn't sort of oh you know I'll take the positives. Actually. Having got that far, he was really disappointed. Yeah, it was really strange. It was more, I'll take the negatives. Hmm. Um, <laughs> he looked to me like someone who uh, you know, was very comfortable, wasn't overawed at any stage. What actually impressed me most about him was uh, the quarter-final, although it wasn't perhaps his biggest win. This was to get to the one-table stage at the Crucible, and it didn't seem to phase him in the slightest. First time I came across Gary was 15 years ago. I went to cover the World Under-21 Championship for the magazine, and it was an incredible field. Mark Allen was in it, Judd Trump was in it, Michael White was in it. Hmm. Uh, a lot of other really good players and Gary Wilson actually won it 
and played really, really well. And I spoke to him afterwards, and he was full of confidence. He said, yeah, I feel like I'm the best junior in the world. And it came across just as belief rather than arrogance. And, of course, he just won the World Under-21 mm. Championship. And you think then of him winning that, Judd in tears after losing in the semi-finals in the opposite directions their lives went in. Um, but it was, it was a strange one. I have to agree with him to some extent, though, that people were saying to him, do you think now you're going to be one of the top players, you're going to build on this? He might, but actually the likelihood is that he won't. He's hit fantastic form over these couple of weeks and uh, you know, got, got through and gave a good account of himself in the semi-final. But maybe it will just be a, a sort of a one-off for him. Actually, I think that longest frame, I don't think it was the last frame, but I've actually literally forgotten. But I know it was 79 minutes. Just on that note, yeah. Luca Brussel. I mean, what, mm. what's his story here? And yeah. I mean, he just, he was the youngest, he still is, isn't he? The yeah. youngest player to have played here, and it's just never happened for him here. He needs to stop smiling so much around the table and <laughs> stop, you know, enjoying it all so much mm. and being so polite. And I'd love to see a bit more of the killer instinct from him because he's a good lad. Obviously, it would be fantastic to see someone from continental Europe break yeah. through. It's great that he started playing well again towards the end of the season but I wonder does he build himself up for it a bit too much because we know what an obsessive snooker fan mm. he was as a kid mm. now he's here playing at the Crucible and even after all these years he still doesn't seem to have quite adjusted to the fact that he belongs here and needs to start making an impact here Well one man to segue into this who did adjust was James Cahill of course the first amateur to play here of course he was a former professional so it's not like he's just someone who picked up a cue last week um, but you know he was an amateur first to play here I said on the preview podcast, if you beat Ronnie O'Sullivan, it would be the biggest shock of all time. He beat Ronnie O'Sullivan, and he played really well. He, he, like, mm. he took the game to Ronnie. The very first frame, he won on, with passing a good black, just to show, you know, I can, I can handle myself. And what a story. Yeah, I mean, you would have thought his only chance would be to build a big lead mm. in the first session. Even 6-3, I know in one sense it's not that much different. But I, I thought, you know, he's going to... O'Sullivan's bound to turn it around a bit. But, I mean... Of course it was fantastic for Cahill, but what, I mean, what is the story with O'Sullivan <laughs> and the World Championship since 2014? He hasn't had a good World Championship in all that time. We said, you know, when he comes here, we'll see what form he's in, you know, mentally from the start, if he's up for it, if he's not interested in getting involved in silly controversies and is here full of belief and wants to assert himself and win his sixth world title. He just went the complete other way. He looked, he looked a wreck, frankly, th- throughout. Yeah and did not perform at all, looked like he didn't want to be there, like he'd been thinking too much about it, he'd built it up too much in his mind. You cannot say Ronnie O'Sullivan will never win the World Championship again, but on the basis of what we've seen and how he's deteriorated here, how he completely cracked against Carter last year, what we saw this year, he's just getting further and further away from winning it again. And, you know, he won his five titles last season, came here and didn't perform, same again this season. In a sense, probably played even better to win them than he did to win those titles last season. But when it came to Sheffield, it didn't amount to anything. Well, it can only be some sort of mental barrier. But, Completely. But, but, but credit to Cahill, you know, he had to finish the match off. And what he found afterwards, of course, was, um, you know, became suddenly, overnight, very well known, you know, to, to beat Ronnie O'Sullivan in the World Championship from, not a complete unknown to snooker fans, obviously, because he'd beaten Selby in the UK, but the general public, sporting public, didn't know who he was. All of a sudden they did. They took to him, you know, as a young lad, likeable. Um, but, of course, what he found as well was that, you know, there were a couple of stories in the newspapers that, mm. that, it, that he didn't like. I thought he was wrong to refuse to answer uh, newspaper journalist questions at, at the press conference after the McGuire match because th- those were news stories. They weren't written by any, any of the snooker reporters at the Crucible. Um, but 
what a sort of um, base he's got to build from now because he very nearly beat Maguire as well. Um, mm. And again, you know, someone who we kind of need, a 23-year-old who plays a very attractive game. He loves playing the big players because he beat Ding mm. a couple of years ago as well. I remember watching that live on TV. It went on until about midnight. Mm. Um, so that's obviously bodes well. And as you say, you know, generally when you see these players pull off these massive shocks in the first round, not always, but usually they tend to go out quite tamely, actually, in the mm. next round. He did go out in the next round, but it was anything but tame. And what a fantastic day that was, actually, on the Saturday. Just stories going on everywhere. Mm. Um, he does have something to build on, but, you know, it's a long season. It's a long grind. It's all very well coming to the Crucible. But when you find yourself, you know, going playing qualifiers for Riga or you're at a Home Nations event and you're out on Table 6, which is still where he'll be most of mm. the time, that's where you've got to lay the foundations to give you, yeah. give you the chance to, uh, to, to shine on that big stage again. And it's, it's adjusting to higher expectations. Yeah. We've seen this... Players in the past who've maybe got to a quarter final at the Crucible or done well, you know, a few weeks later they're putting the waistcoat on again for Riga Masters qualifying, whatever it is, and they find themselves feeling flat. Even Barry Hawkins said after he was in the final, he said, you know, for a few tournaments I just didn't really know where I was because I'd had that immense high playing at the, at the, the pinnacle, the home of Snoop, the Crucible. Next minute, like you say, you're on table four and you're not quite sure what you're doing. Yeah, and we should um, remark as well talk about him being the first amateur i.e. first non-tour player to qualify he played another player in the final qualifying yeah. round who was in the same position yeah. uh, Michael Judge um, although he's been a ranking event semi-finalist mm. in the past but they were both classed as amateurs so it was interesting that the first time it happened it was another amateur as it were mm. uh, that he beat to get here but what a story for him totally agree the greatest crucible shock of all time I remember speaking to you the day beforehand I said the only result you could see that would be regarded as a big shock would be if George would beat Robertson mm. because I'd almost written off the prospect of Cahill beating O'Sullivan. Great performance from him, nothing taken away from him, but O'Sullivan, we're just saying the same things about him year after year uh, when we look back on the World Championship, and he's getting further and further away, it seems, from being a contender to win it again. He's very, very rarely lost here to a player outside the top 16. I think it's only maybe happened three times, something like that, so uh, a real low for him, and it'll be interesting to see now how he responds when the new season comes around for him. Well, hadn't lost in the first round for 16 years, That's so right, that yeah. tells its own story. Mark Selby, not a good season, nope. and people were saying, well, maybe you know, three times champion, the Crucible will, will, will rescue it, but it didn't. I mean, he was another one of Gary Wilson's victims. Uh, I don't know what how Mark will reflect on what he has to do to turn it round. Maybe, you know, you just have or have such a good run, and at some point it has to turn, and then hopefully it turns again. Um, but it was strange in a way because I did sort of think, well, maybe... I thought his draw was quite good, actually. Yeah. I mean, Zhao Yingtong was dangerous but quite raw. And when he got through that, I thought, actually, you know, you could see him coming through that quarter, but it didn't happen. Yeah, you could. You've got to remember about Mark. You know, he's been around. He's been a pro for 20 years now. You know, there's only so long you can keep it going. And it's like even if he did decline and not win any of the big events again, he's had an incredible career. He's well inside the top 10 players of all time. So it's... Just maybe the natural cycle of things. Mm. You sort of, in a funny sort of way, you still see him as someone who's not been around at the top for all that long. But of course he has. I mean, it's 11 years uh, since he first won the Masters. I think it was just, you know, he got in such a run here at the Crucible. Generally, when we see players do that, they tend to keep doing it year after year. Um, but look, he'll still be around. He'll still be, a, a, you know, a leading player, a contender. He'll win more tournaments, I think. But maybe his days as, as a world champion are over. And if they are, well... He's you know, had a better career here than most. Mm. Well, about halfway through the tournament, Neil Robertson was actually a big favourite to win it. He was playing superbly, beat Sean Murphy in, in, in the second round. Um, Sean Murphy, 
came here also as a BBC pundit, which I thought I, I'm got to be honest, and I thought Sean was really good as a pundit. But totally agree. Yeah. But I thought it was a bit odd that after the first session of that match he was commentating, and then after the second session he was in the studio. It all, you know, he would say, I'm sure he would say, it didn't take my focus off the match, but. Kind of must have done because you're talking because you're talk, yeah. literally talking about other people playing. Just felt odd. I'm not saying he would have won anyway because Mill was in such good form, yeah. but don't know. Just found found that a bit strange. That's up to him. But Robertson, of course, then got done by Higgins, and it seemed that Higgins sort of drew, drew him into to the style of match that suited him because yeah. uh, Robertson had been so free flowing up to that point. Yeah, he had. He reminded me actually of John back in 2002. John had won, I think, four tournaments that season. He had won the Irish Masters a few weeks before Sheffield and played brilliantly. Came to Sheffield, he beat Wattenau 10-1, he beat Graham Dot 13-2, and he was playing absolutely brilliantly, and he thought he was going to win. Because, you know, there was no sort of Henry to overcome. I mean, Henry nearly did win the championship, but he wasn't this all-powerful figure. Higgins was seen as the favourite. And then it seemed to weigh him down, and he was quite tame in losing to Matthew Stevens in the quarterfinals. Um, so similar sort of things seemed to happen to Robertson. He didn't, like, play dreadfully or anything like that. Higgins just... To say he did a number on him, mm. but what an absorbing match that was! Just a real gripping contest throughout, so many twists to it. And it's just what Higgins does. It's a bit like actually Steve Davis when he was past his very, very best, he was still so formidable, as John found to his cost yeah. in the second round all those years ago. It just brings out the best in him, Higgins coming here every year. And I'll bet he wishes now he had gone off earlier in the season and started that new practice arrangement that he has with mm. Stephen Maguire and Anthony McGill because so I spoke to him about it about a year ago and he actually seemed a bit down about the way you know it was going for him he had a table at home that he was sort of practicing on but not really now he's got this new arrangement you could see coming towards the end of the season he was starting to improve and you just wonder had he started to improve that little bit sooner maybe he would have won the championship if he'd played himself in a bit more although as we'll discuss he didn't really get much of a chance, but uh, great performance, really drained every last drop out of himself in that quarterfinal. But huge disappointment for Robertson because he's spoken about how focused he is on becoming a multiple world champion. He's certainly good enough, he was my tip, uh, I had a little bet on him at 14-1, to 1. but he may not have as good a set of circumstances again mm. uh, in terms of trying to win it for a second time, and by next year it'll be 10 years mm. since he won it. Well, you say the quarterfinals absorbing. Of course, John Higgins' victory over Dave Gilbert in the semis was incredible. I mean, Dave had such an inc- a wonderful championship, beat Mark Williams along the way as the defending champion, um, Karen Wilson as well, uh, and was ahead for, for much of the, the semi-final. But obviously the last... I mean, it's a long match, isn't it? It's four sessions, but it comes down to the crunch on the Saturday afternoon. And Higgins got over the line. And I felt very sorry for Dave because... He said, you know, spoke very well, I thought. He said, you know, I've never won anything. I might never win anything. This was a chance to get to the World Championship final. And you could understand the emotion. I thought he was going to do well here from the start because I made him favourite to beat Williams in, in the last 16. Since they had that final in Yushan that Williams won, Gilbert has actually been playing better uh, than Williams. Much better, actually. So I fancy he did get through that, and I thought this was his big chance to go on a run. And, you know, uh, to the general public, he's not a familiar face because he's never done well in any of the real high-profile events that you see on, on the main channels. Uh, but what tension and drama there was on that Saturday afternoon. Went on, what was it, about 6 o'clock? Even yeah. later, maybe, when yeah, it actually yeah, yeah. finished. And there was a time in that last frame where it almost seemed to be swinging in his direction. It just mm. felt like a frame that he was going to win. There was so little in it at the end. The red that he played um, along the side cushion 
was to me the shot of the championship. Yeah. He then followed it with that missed green, and that was really the big moment because he could have put himself in an extremely strong position. I've never, literally never seen anyone at the end of a snooker match react the way he did. Even when he came into the press conference, he broke down again. It was all too much for him, and he, it, he was very honest to acknowledge that he may never yeah. get that close to a world final again. And it wasn't only him, like because the, he, they, Rob Walker for the BBC interviewed him in sort of the corridor, which meant if you tried to get out, like I was in the commentary box, you had to wait for them to finish it. And there was must have been thirty people around, just sort of in the area. A lot of them were in tears. You know, Rob was going, a lot of other people were going. Dave's wife, um, because it's not just to lose narrowly; it's to lose narrowly after thirty-three frames and three days, yeah. and when it means everything. And it was very raw because I actually was coming out of the arena at the same time. I don't think he'd even gone back to the dressing room no. to compose himself yeah. for a moment. I think he he was uh, stopped straight away and. Um, yeah, the, the emotion of it all that I saw, I've, n- I've really never witnessed anything like that here. And like I say, I think it was based on the fact that, what is he, 37 now? Yeah. It's taken him a while. You think back actually to, I think it was the very first time he came here, certainly one of the first times, he had a great chance to beat Henry in the first round. Couldn't quite see it through. He got very emotional then. It's just the sort of person he is. But what a great season he's had actually. Mm. He's just got better and better as a player. And people were saying, oh, you know, this is Dave Gilbert now finally delivering on the promise we knew he had. I think with the greatest of respect, we didn't see him as someone who was going to become mm. a real top player. And that's all the more credit to him that he has turned himself into one. He's firmly established in the top 16 now. And uh, I think there'll be more to come from him because he, he's found that, uh, that consistency that he's shown throughout the campaign. But it's going to take him a while to get over that, just to have been so close. It almost would have been easier for him to take if he lost for 17-8, 17-9, something like that. But mm. fantastic tension in the arena on Saturday afternoon. We'll come back to the final in a minute, but we've had a hundred centuries um, in, in the, the Crucible. I mean, did you ever think you'd see the day? No, I didn't. No, unbelievable. <laughs> and at one stage, I thought it's looking really good, and then there was a bit of a dip for a couple of days. Even coming into the final, you thought it seemed unlikely. Uh, the standard of play, it's become such a cliche for people to say the standard's getting higher and higher every year. People were saying it for a long time, and it wasn't true. <laughs> um, I think the standard has, has been higher than ever. I think some people can get a bit too caught up in centuries because it's not all about that. Um, but I think the standard of play overall has probably been about as high as ever. Uh, 100 centuries. And, and now the, the thing is, you wouldn't be all that surprised to see it happen again. Mm. They're all just playing so much now. Yeah. And they're so played in. And 10 years ago when there weren't that many tournaments, often players were getting through to the later stages here without playing that well because everyone else was struggling mm. too. It's just a different game now. It's a different circuit. They're playing every week. They've all played each other so often that you don't tend to see players getting overawed. So, you know, even the players who are getting beaten, who aren't favourites to win matches, they're mm. playing well also. So, we've seen 100, but the bar just keeps getting raised more and more because the last time the record was broken, going up to 86, it then happened again the next year. Yeah. So, the standard gets higher. They all have to work harder then to live up to it, and it just keeps on getting better and better. You wonder when does it reach the point where it just physically cannot get any better. Yeah, I thought the final was interesting because Higgins, it seemed to me, came out going for his shots, being really attacking and aggressive and almost saying to Trump, right, this is how I'm going to play. I know you can play that way too, but you're going to have to produce the goods to beat me. Problem for John, though, is he did. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I mean, people talk about John's qualities as an all-round player and the safety game and everything, but, I mean, he's at least as good mm. at everything else. What a heavy scorer, great potter. And absolutely, I agree, he went out there with that approach. I think a lot of people thought, well, you know, he'll just try and slow Judd down and make mm. it go scrappy. But having been through a couple of, you know, real dogfights in the previous couple of rounds, maybe he didn't even have the energy to see that through, and it may not have worked anyway. 
It's hard to know what to say about that final because what lessons can John take away from it? <laughs> he didn't get, as he said, anywhere near yeah. the table. And I think it was, was it four centuries in the nine frames yeah. that he won? Yeah. Amazing stuff. There was a time if you made four centuries in the final, people were saying it was one of the all-time mm. great performances and you would probably have won mm. quite early on in the final session. So of the three in a row he's lost, this is the one he's lost by far the heaviest, but he seemed the least disappointed after it because mm. he's been around long enough to know that sometimes there's not a great deal you can do about it. And, mm. and this was one of those. The one thing I would say, his safety at times let him down. He made a lot of uncharacteristic yeah. safety errors. And in key frames, I think that cost him. He let Trump off the hook a few times. That's just the one thing you could say he maybe could have tightened up on a bit. OK, well, the season is over, so let's just look back uh, briefly. It's been a long campaign. Obviously, a lot of things have happened. But we've had certain highlights. Obviously, Ronnie O'Sullivan... You know, uh, the Triple Crown record went, he equaled Hendry's ranking title record. The Thousand Centuries was was an incredible moment, incredible that, that when that happened. Um, you know, the run Neil Robertson was on, obviously, with all tournaments he won. Trump as well, the big big titles along the way. And uh, Karen Wilson won a couple as well. Uh, a, a lot's sort of, sort of gone on, but I suppose it is true to say it is actually all dwarfed by what we've seen here. Yeah, it is, and it always is. Mm. It always is. We'll go back to Ronnie's <coughs> statement, the one, the business tournament. Yeah. Mm. You think of Mark Allen. Yeah. Look at the form he was in coming up to Christmas. He won two big events. He won in Glasgow. He got to the UK final. He was playing the best snooker of his life. It seems an eternity ago because there are so many tournaments since then. But it's always dwarfed by what you see here, and even more so now because it's a player who has been earmarked, it seems incredible to say, for almost 20 years mm. as a potential world champion. We knew when he was 10 how good he was. Yeah. 2001, we saw Judd and Michael White, do you remember, playing pool in the Novotel? Yeah. They'd been on doing a piece on the BBC, they've both gone on to have good careers, obviously Judd, far more successful. That's what we'll take away from the season. No question about who's been the player of the season, mm. I think even if he'd lost the final, that would have been the case. But what, what would you say was the theme of the season? Last season it was all about the class of 92, this time less so, I think it was more about a number of players all mm. having great runs. Mark Allen had his before Christmas. Uh, Judd had his either side of Christmas, then went a little bit quieter and then had the big finish as well. And, uh, well, O'Sullivan did w w what he does, uh, just you know, racking up the tournament wins regularly, uh, getting back to number one, which is something he hadn't done for, for quite some time. But in the end, we're sitting here talking about the world champion again. That's the trophy, that, that's, that's the one event that has a, a trophy that is, to use that cliche, an iconic image of mm. the sport. It has never changed. And to see Judd standing there holding it in the arena tonight, it just felt, yeah, this is something that is never guaranteed to happen for anybody, but something that we all felt was going to happen for a very long time. But what a great season, very high standards. As I said, I thought the Tour Championship was magnificent. Mm. To see an event like that, it's so against everything that's going on at the moment, that fields are getting bigger and matches are getting shorter. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing because it creates more opportunity and more snooker along the way and creates more scope for new events. But it was just so refreshing to see an event like that. Long matches all the way, only the very best players, massive money, fantastic quality, and ITV got wonderful viewing figures for it. So again, every year we're saying that the game's in a healthier state than it's ever been. Yeah, a couple of new winners, people like Jimmy Roberts and Matt Selt along the way, a couple of others as well. But yeah, it all ended here. And uh, Judd Trump, I suppose now that it's tantalising to think what he can go on and do because you know he's 30 late this year. He's got time on his side to now he's got the first one to to keep on winning. And one thing I would say as well is, like like you said earlier, like he was one of the first sort of social media stars in snooker. And I think the problem with that sometimes is that the way you are perceived and actually the way you portray yourself sometimes is actually not really how you are. And what, from what I've observed, and I'm sure you'd agree, is I've met very few people 
not just in snooker, but anywhere, more polite than, oh, Judd, than Judge Trump. Completely. He's, he's a really nice lad, yeah. and I, I think he really has sort of brought that out more mm. this season. He's become a little less interested in everything that goes with mm. it. As I say, there was the little Kyron Wilson controversy, but I don't think he set out to create that. No. So, yes, I would, uh, I would absolutely agree with that. I think he's from a very humble background. Mm -hmm. I think they have worked together for it, hoped for it. They've never pushed him. He's always been his choice to pursue Stuka. Uh, but I'm very happy for his family, for all of them, because I know what it will mean to them, and we saw it in the arena. And I hope he enjoys his year as champion. I'm sure he'll represent the sport really well. I think it's good news for Snuka. I'm looking forward to, to seeing how many more he can win. Yeah, well, that's the point I was just going to finish on. 20 years ago, we saw Stephen Hendry win his last title here at the age of 30. Judd is going to be 30 <laughs> later this year. But 30 is very different now because mm. you look at the other top players. I think in the top 16, he's maybe the second or third youngest. So they, perhaps some of the other leading players, aren't going to be around so mm. much longer. He's got so many years ahead of him now. He may never win the World Championship again. But if I was being asked now how many I think he's going to win, I think he's going to win another two or three because he's, he's got the time. He's getting better as a player. He's more mature as a person. And the age he's at now makes him so much younger and with so much more time on his hands than so many of the players he'll be competing with. Yeah, and if he can play like that, he can beat anyone. He beat Ronnie O'Sullivan in the Masters final, outplayed him. He beat John Higgins in the World final, outplayed him. That speaks for itself. Great season for him, great season for snooker. That is it from the World Championship. That is it from the Snooker Scene podcast for another season. Thanks all for listening. We're off to the bar. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.